Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Week 10 almost in the books as we come and meet you. We've got 11.46 p.m. here on the East Coast. You know, daylight savings time. we got some time traveling going on, so go ahead and uh, enjoy all your clocks. Don't forget uh, that we did change those clocks. So, gentlemen, uh, a lot to get to. We've got Michigan State going down. We've got... Uh, a weird top six or seven in terms of the college football playoff rankings where no one was really impressive outside of Georgia. Uh, A little bit further down, some significant results. We've got a lock infinity that was a sweat, but yet a winner. Uh, Some win totals that also cashed lock infinity. We'll get to all of that in a little bit. Uh, But I guess I want to begin kind of like with what's fresh in our mind, which is, Uh, Alabama 20, LSU 14, and where I want to start the conversation is, at what point did you entertain LSU was going to win this game? How late in this contest did you really think that LSU was about to win? Because this is a very, very, very different podcast. If a few bounces, if a few calls go a different way and Alabama loses, then like we're about to get into our projections for the college football playoff rankings. Entirely different if this goes that way. So what do we think about Alabama's narrow win against the Tigers? You know, Nick Saban does a really good job replacing coaches routinely. And he has to replace all these coaches because he loses all these guys off the staff all the time because he does such a good job hiring coaches that they get hired away and they win ball games all the time. But I don't know that that the that the the changes he made this year, at offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, are hits. Wouldn't shock me if maybe they have different coaches there next year. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like through eight or nine games now, I'm not really seeing this Bama team play to its talent level. Uh, I also don't know if they if they have the same type of leadership on that side of the ball. You know, last year we heard all about Landon Dickerson and all those guys who were you know, hosting those player run practices and they would go to Dickerson's house every day and, and Devontae Smith and all those guys are really driving them. And they, they, they look like a team on a mission last year. This year's team just looks talented, but it doesn't play with the same edge and it's not, not nearly as sharp or maybe not quite as talented or, or experienced, you know, as last year's team was. And to answer your question, uh, I entertained it. I think the last, like probably after the, when LSU got sacked following the sack fumble of Bryce Young, that was yeah. kind of when I was like, okay, that's that's done. When it got to like third and long, I was like, they're, they're toast. Uh, LSU. But is. at but, the sack fumble, you had to entertain yes, it. And, very and, much. 
And that was the thing is because I think that that was one of the questions I used for the Texas A&M game because throughout Alabama, Texas A&M, the lingering thought in all of our head was like, Alabama's going to figure this out. Alabama's going to figure this out. Texas A&M, they did not. Tom, today they did, I guess, or did LSU just mess it up more? I think that if LSU had a full-strength roster, they win tonight. I think not good for the tide. I yeah. think you're probably right, but that's not good. And I think this is the oh, sorry. No, go. This is the second worst Bama win that they have had under Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. I was wow. in school. I was in school for I think the worst one, which was 2009 Tennessee, which is where Terrence Cody blocks the kick. <laughs> right, like just ridiculously bad. I don't care. It was looking awesome. at a win. Yeah, yeah, right. You're, you're right. It was Rocky the worst. Rock. But like from me in my perspective, watching that game, writing for Bustersports.com with Matt Moore and Will Brinson and Adam Jacoby, I thought it was my favorite game ever. But yeah, again, it just made me laugh that it was Terrence Cody with the block. You were correct, though. It was a bad win. I just the the feeling I get from watching Alabama, and I mean, let's be blunt. Like we, the way we talked about this game, and like Chip, when you took Alabama minus twenty eight and a half as a lock, I said that they would be covering the spread by halftime. I did not come into tonight thinking I would have to pay a whole lot of attention to this game, but it was Alabama and LSU, so I put it on a screen, thinking, all right, I'll probably stick around for a quarter, and then I'll be able to move on. And I was never really able to get away from it because they never pulled away, and. Watching it, honestly, the same kind of feelings I've had a lot of times watching Alabama this year, and I've talked about it a lot of times. Like, I don't think their offensive line is good. I think that there's a lot of talent, but I don't think it's a good line. Like I've talked about, too, Evan Neal, five-star recruit, guy that's projected to be like a top-10 pick in the NFL draft. He's an All-American. Oh, he's a freak. Watch him do all these dances. I don't think anybody who's watching Alabama's offensive line thinks he's an All-American this year. I don't think he's been great. I don't think anybody on that line has been great. And I think that's really impacting what Alabama is going to do because we've talked about it week in and week out. Florida whooped them up front. Texas A&M whooped them up front. LSU was whooping them up front. They ran for six yards on 26 carries. And yeah, that's some of that's the Bryce Young sack yardage. But even if you take that away, they're at 49 yards, 2.2 per carry. They can't run the ball. They got Brian Robinson. You know what? On LSU. On LSU. run defense. Yes, exactly. So, like, this is a legitimate problem for Alabama. And think about it. If they win the West, and it's an if. It is not a definite. It is an if. If they win the West and they get to Atlanta, if this offensive line has been getting its ass kicked by Florida, Texas, A&M, and LSU, what is Georgia going to do to it? Yeah, that's a really good point. So, if you take out the sacks from Bama's rush yards, I think they averaged 2.2 yards tonight. Mm-hmm. Now, so even part of that I think is a kneel down to and a bad snap, but like still not great. Yeah, no, not great at all. I, I will say that, you know, because as I've told you before, historically underrated and under-discussed Nick Saban needs somebody to carry water for him. And I have always, uh, you know, been the tribute to carry water for Nick Saban. I do think the defense gave us some big stops. You know, like yes. this was a uh, an LSU offense has been very inconsistent, but that so many times because of the offensive struggles that we have discussed, I felt like we finally got some answers uh, from this Alabama defense, which was porous uh, against Texas A&M in defeat. So at least that group was able to come up with the win and show a little bit of teeth tonight.
and kudos to them for it. Like even Saban said after the game, it's like, hey, it was nice to see our deep back to the days of our defense bailing out the offense again. But um, the LSU offense, how many starters were on that unit? Like that's not a hundred percent full capacity LSU offense that they shut down. So it's like, great, the defense played well. Playing a team that wasn't very good. Fair. I mean, yeah. fair, fair. That team scored what? One touchdown on Ole Miss before garbage time. Yeah. Offensive touchdown. That was just. Like you're gonna take that win and you're gonna move on and you'll probably still be number two on Tuesday night when the new meaningless rankings come out. But you didn't play well. That was a terrible game. That was a mediocre ass looking Alabama team. And I say that in the context of what we're used to from seeing Alabama. That was a mediocre team. All right. So now let's let's go ahead and take it there because when we think about the college football playoff rankings as they were, uh, Georgia number one. Uh, let's let's sort of think about how these are going to shift. All right, so Georgia number one, obviously going to stay. Alabama number two, we'll hold on for a second. Michigan State number three. Michigan State loses uh, at Purdue. We'll get into the specifics of that game in a little bit. Uh, Oregon number four wins against Washington. Uh, a real sweat for that under. Oh, I was I was going to be so mad at Mario. So Oh, but anyway, so let's keep it moving. Uh, Ohio State, like Nebraska, things got a little bit dicey. Uh, Cincinnati, extremely dicey against Tulsa. And let's draw a line right there, right? Because that's the group that we're dealing with. Michigan State's going to be out. So we're dealing with those five teams of Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, and Cincinnati. How do you think that they're going to be ranked uh, in terms of the college football playoff rankings? Everybody moves up a spot to replace Michigan State. No changes. No changes. Other than no that. changes. Because everybody gonna... has to run laps except for Georgia. Georgia gets ice yeah. cream. Because since everybody looked pretty like vulnerable today, you can't justify and say, well, this team looked better than the other one. Because like I just said, Alabama was mediocre. Oregon, it beat Washington by 10, but it's not like it was a dominant performance. They they were down early in that game, had to come back before they finally took control, but they're still not a dominant team. Ohio State kind of struggled against the Nebraska team, which again, it's a lot better than its record says, but it's still not a good team. So, and then Cincinnati struggling for the third week in a row against Tulsa. So it's like, it's not like somebody really took advantage of the fact that Michigan State and all these other teams lost. This was a great chance for all these teams to just kind of have a great day and say something and maybe earn some credit. Nobody wanted to. That was exactly what my lead was for tomorrow's top 25 today. The AP projection column was that it was right there. It was right there for the taking for so many teams to step up and prove themselves as being worthy of being considered one of the best teams in the country, a challenger to Georgia. And once again, we come away with the narrative that there is a gap between where the Bulldogs are. Even though we can pick apart Georgia in so many different ways and things that they are doing that do not meet our expectations, they are the only one that are they are the only team that is turning in results on a week in, week out basis. I, I do think there is some chance that Cincinnati will drop based on a, like who they've played, uh, not looking that good with the exception of Notre Dame, which again took you're care of his trouble great. for this, bud. You're going to get in trouble. You think they're just going to stay exactly where they are? No, no you're going to get yelled at. People are going to call oh. you a hater. Yeah. I mean, so Oklahoma didn't play. I think right. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's number be, two now. <laughs> I think, think Oklahoma is going to be number two in the AP poll. It, no, the AP poll is not going to punish Cincinnati. Didn't you, don't you read the tweets? No, yeah, they, they I, love this story. 
Oh, capital J journos. Don't I? I'm, I've got Cincinnati at number four in the AP poll. Here's the way I think the AP poll is. They'll still go. be two. They'll still be. Two. I got Georgia one, Oklahoma two, Alabama three, Cincinnati four, Oregon five, Ohio State six. That is the AP poll reacting to uh, Oregon over Ohio State, which the playoff committee did. Which sometimes we do see the AP poll respond, uh, but I do think that man Cincinnati's got to drop. That I was. I think it will. That was. I so don't disagree bad. with you. But I don't think it will because Cincinnati's perfect to a lot of people. Now, all of them, they're not AP voters, but they are media members. And I was talking about this before the show. Like, there are so many tweets that I saw tonight that were like, oh, well, I can't wait to see Cincinnati get punished for struggling against Tulsa while teams like Ohio State and Oregon and all these teams won't be. Yes, they will. We, you're telling me that a team like Oregon, who many people were b- pissed off about being in the top four to begin with, is not going to be dinged for struggling against Washington. Ohio State is a team that gets picked apart by everybody all the time when it's not blowing teams out as proof that it's not good enough and the Big Ten isn't good enough. They get dinged for bad performances every week of every season, and Cincinnati deserves the same damn treatment as everybody else. If that's what you're arguing for, it can't just be all flowers. We have to talk about the bad with it, too. And this is the third week in a row Cincinnati has struggled with an inferior opponent. So, yeah, there's going to be a punishment. And then, again, another thing that I saw today, which was cracking me up, Illinois is beating Minnesota by 14 to nothing in the second half. And everybody is all like, huh, Minnesota's ranked. Look at it. It's probably going to get bumped up. It's losing to Illinois. I can't believe Minnesota's ranked over SMU in Houston. SMU was losing at the same damn time. To Memphis. People are talking about how Minnesota shouldn't be ranked because it's losing to Illinois and it's a crime that they were ranked ahead of SMU while SMU was losing. It's like people just show up to Twitter on Saturdays knowing what they're going to say and just wait for the moment to say it and don't actually watch what's happening. And it drives me nuts. Anyways, what were we talking about? I did tweet the uh, that the Minnesota will probably move up for a quality loss to Illinois. <laughs> yeah, but you but said I did, it not tweet it, did not tweet that it represents SMU. <laughs> Yeah. Like people were using it as like a like I can't believe this Minnesota team was ranked. And you know what? You want to argue that they shouldn't have been ranked. That's fine. I have no problem with the point you're making there about that. Because I agree. SMU should have been ranked in the college football playoff poll in Minnesota, or at least deserved it more than Minnesota. But you can't go to that example while SMU is crapping the bed at the very same time against a mediocre Memphis team, like the worst Memphis team we've seen in six or seven seasons. And then Houston. Same team, not ranked last week. Oh, the committee's clearly leaving them out to keep Cincinnati down and just ruin the ACC. They're messing around with South Florida. Like, they're struggling. It's like everybody struggles. So when a group of five teams struggles, just because they get disrespected, that doesn't mean we get to ignore the fact that they're struggling. If if, if we're going to – we have to treat them all the same way. When the good teams struggle, we talk about it. When the mediocre teams struggle, we talk about it. It's just what happens, man. Deal with it. It's, you know, it's life. I, I love that we bring all the different perspectives. I have had my head in, like, I don't know. I've, I haven't been on Twitter as much. I've been missing that. And, Tom, I got mad at you when you were presenting the argument that made you mad. So, clearly, I agree with you. 
Like everybody deserves, like anybody who, who tweets at us and says, please put some respect on my team's name or anybody who tweets at us and says that we don't give a team enough love. It's like, no, we come with love and criticism for everybody. We do not actually care. And Cincinnati, you, you nearly blew it. You played horrible and you were very, very fortunate to still have a zero in the loss column here as we record just after midnight on the East coast on Saturday evening. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like start any beefs or anything here, but like a lot of these people I consider friends, colleagues, some of us, some of them work with us at CBS, but I just feel like there's this group of people who are so set on the idea of Cincinnati being disrespected that they just show up and any single thing that they could use. Like, dude, the only reason Cincinnati won today is because a guy fumbled at the goal line to try to score a touchdown in the last seconds that could have possibly tied the game had they gone for two and forced overtime. After Cincinnati itself fumbled on a QB sneak inside its own five while trying to run out the clock. So it can had we Boston stop? College Wake Forest vibes. It was yeah. big time Boston College Wake Forest vibes. Like if Northwestern and Iowa play that same game, we are making fun of them for three and a half hours. When Cincinnati does it, it's like, oh, well, they're trying. Darn it. We got to respect them. It's it's just, you know, again, I think if I'm putting out my playoff rankings based on what I've seen, I think Cincinnati's got a legitimate shot of deserving to be in the top four if it wins out. Based on the way it's played the last three weeks, I don't think it's going to win out. Well, I think that the remaining strength of schedule for Cincinnati is absolutely going to keep it out. Unless they get ridiculous chaos all around the sport. And at this point, I don't really know even what that looks like. That's pro. I mean, it's, it's Georgia wins the SEC – uh, which is not chaos, and then everybody else just has absolutely crazy uh, chaos going on. Uh, the remaining teams on the schedule are not going to be strong enough, right? SMU today lost to Memphis. It's done. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have enough marquee wins. Also, it is important. It will be. A, they're not. Also, it will be a conspiracy, though, bud, when they're left out. Is that is that contract? Because everybody was reporting on the SMU side of things about how this new SMU deal has been on the table, and Sonny Dykes hasn't signed it. Uh, if he hasn't signed it, does that mean SMU gets to take it back after you lost to Memphis? <laughs> hey, it was. It's. I mean, Sonny lost when there's apparently a contract on the table. PJ Fleck gets a seven year extension and loses to Illinois. Just. It's a bad time to be getting new contracts. Bad, bad time to be a, be a hot coach. I mean, it mm-hmm. all started with James Franklin. It is everybody just doing their best James Franklin impression, which is right when it seems like you're about to get the job, you lose to Illinois. Now everyone's like, ooh, okay. Now that's what we got to do. This is what we got to do to get a new job. All right. So speaking of the Big Ten, I do want to make sure um, that we highlight like the most notable result. Again, as we are recording at the end of the night, it feels like a lot of the best teams in the country let us down, but one. But there was one team that fell short and just got beat. Like it, it wasn't the situation that was, uh, you know, Cincinnati playing down to Tulsa and messing it up. Like Purdue raised its level of compete, threw for 500 yards against this Michigan State defense. Kenneth Walker still had a pretty good day. The Michigan State offense still had a pretty good day. But David Bell, once again, absolutely stood out. Um, where do we go from here? Because as I as I look at it, like I'll go ahead and jump ahead of this. 
I think that the remaining schedule for Purdue, which includes playing against Ohio State next week, probably prevents winning the Big Ten West, but more than that, losses already to Wisconsin and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's really tough for Purdue. Michigan State still could be back in the playoff. Michigan State has a win against Michigan, still gets a chance to play Ohio State. So what do we do with these two teams moving forward after what was a pretty entertaining game on Saturday afternoon? Well, I mean, Michigan State's going to fall, obviously. I don't think it's going to fall very far. I still think it'll probably be in the top eight at worst because I don't think you can knock it below that based on the wins that it has and the fact that it's lost to a Purdue team that's already knocked off Iowa. And it's a Purdue team that if the committee looks at, pays more attention to how you're playing now compared to how you played a month and a half or two months ago, it's a Purdue team that's playing well. But as far as this game goes, I'm not shocked by the result at all. I think that we kind of talked about this Michigan State team. It's a good team, but it's a far from perfect team. It's got a lot of flaws. Defensively, it had it's had flaws all season long, and they were evident today. Like you said, Chip, Purdue put up 594 yards of offense on it, and that was with no running game to speak of. I mean, they threw for five – Aiden O'Connell threw for 536 <laughs> yards in this game against a team in the top four. And Michigan State averaged 7.3 yards per play on offense, and it lost by double figures because of its defense being unable to stop anybody. David Bell just getting wide open time after time, and that has been the concern with Michigan State all along. They've got big plays, but they also allow big plays, and they're not great on defense. So I think that you can't knock them too much because, again, everybody struggled this week, and they didn't play poorly. They just lost a football game, and like you said, they've not I, – I, their destiny's in their own hands. They control their own fate, but they kind of do. I mean, I think we should have had more concerns last week when Michigan, a team that does not throw the ball very well, was able to hit some explosive plays, mm. some on Michigan State. I bet Michigan State minus two and a half. We all said on Locks Pod, didn't want them at minus three. It felt like an obvious quote unquote trap if you're into that you know, trap game idea. It, it was a tough game. Coming off Michigan, Purdue was five of seven on passes that had more than 15 air yards under them. That's a pretty good thing. It's like if you're shooting three pointers and you shoot like 70% mm-hmm. from three, you're likely to win the game. Uh, and that's kind of what Purdue did. But they also just, I mean, the very, very high completion percentage for O'Connell, 40 of 54. They played pitch and catch. And this Michigan State secondary has been a really good tackling secondary. I, But they are not great just guys purely covering people right and mm-hmm. i think jeff brown can coach mm-hmm. i do i think purdue talent wise is a program that cannot survive bad like injury cluster luck if that makes sense like they've had uh, one of the last two years I'm trying to remember which one it was they had just crazy injuries oh, on, were, on the offensive line it seems like they, every year they're losing a bunch of players yeah and they were just absolutely toast but i mean the last two times he had he's had a somewhat healthy roster they've been kind of impressive so good job jeff Brown. okay uh before we hit the break i'm just gonna go ahead and and grab this one because i think that it exists on an island but i would love for you to tell me if it's not but what happened to baylor and should i sell all of my baylor stock with the fact that tcu is it dead cat bounce or is this more of like uh, regression to the mean for a Baylor team that was maybe a little bit on the fortunate side 
playing a little over its head and at some point going to catch a loss because, and one of the things that I'm very excited to do down the stretch, as I've mentioned, is look at our win totals, look at our teams that are going to make or not make a bowl game, try and project what's going to happen in the last three weeks of the season. And, you know, if you were to tell me that Baylor's going to finish the season at nine and three or eight and four based on the team that I've seen, looks like a nine and three or an eight and four team. So the losses are going to come if you believe that's where they're going to finish. But at the same time, to this TCU team and the way that it went down, um, I've, I've got some sirens going off for Baylor right now. I'm curious to see where y'all's head's at. I, this should not have been close. They were outgained by 170 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, th- this two-point win is uh, deceiving. But not in, like, the, hey, TCU was lucky to win way. And, like, Baylor was lucky to be, not be run out of the gym way. Because on the field, wow. as far as going up and down the field, they were. Chandler Morris, the son of Chad Morris. Where did this come from? 460 yards through the air and another 70 on the ground? I can't wait. I mean, what? seeing what like all Oklahoma transfers do, I can't wait to see Spencer Rattler like just absolutely tearing it up somewhere <laughs> next year. But no, I mean, I think that's part of it though, bud. I think that Baylor was caught off guard because like that's not the Max Duggan offense that we saw today like this is not a tcu team that's coming out and able to throw for 460 yards in a game that's like so chandler morris shows up like the greatest dual threat quarterback of all time out of nowhere tcu's slinging the rock all over the field he's taking off and rushing for 70 yards i just don't think baylor game planned for this offense and they got caught by it and tcu rallying it's like i think yeah, I don't think it's all that dissimilar to Michigan State. Like, Baylor's a good team, but it's not a team that's incapable of losing to a game have, or a team having a good day on the road. It makes me want to go back and look at, like, w- which quarterbacks has Baylor faced who are, are are really good this year and, like, really good passing offenses this year. But there are some, like, BYU is, is a pretty good offense. You know, Iowa State with Brock Jover is not list? bad. You ready for yeah. the list? Texas State. Okay. Texas Southern, Kansas, Iowa State, eh, Oklahoma State on the road, but meh, West Virginia, mm. BYU, and that BYU game. BYU was 22 of 31, 342 yards, 11 yards per attempt, but only one touchdown. And Texas, this is, they haven't faced a ton of great passing offenses this year. So all of those blitzes that all seem to get home were against quarterbacks who have not proven to us that they are anything more than a Jag plus. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Brock Purdy's a Jag plus, right? I think he could be a little bit better than like, I don't know, but if more of this and, and possibly, but they won today. I mean, I, how good do you have to be to get that plus? Oh, you're saying he's just a jag? Yeah, he's just a jag. I think that – I think I, see, that's the thing. I don't think he's a jag, but I don't think he's a jag plus. He's like – you know how there's like quad A baseball players? I feel like he's the quad A of jags. I'm, I'm going to go and give him the jag plus then, just just, just so that we, we don't have everybody hitting on Brock Purdy. I, they, Even as we're out of Brocktober. I mean, this is November. If you it's November. He sucks now. Oh, no, I'm proud about that, yeah. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we had a top 10 team fall, though it was an underdog, and we will get into much more from the Week 10 results next 
What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. There's a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. So, gentlemen, I will open the floor for your opinions first. But what do we think about the game that played out about exactly as we predicted it would play out between North Carolina and Wake Forest? Wake's really banged up on defense, and it showed. And... Wake uncharacteristically made some mistakes on offense there down the stretch, and they usually don't do that. They're usually just ice cold, man. And uh, credit the UNC. They, they got it home for me. I was I was happy about that. Like, uh, I did not think that UNC was able to run the football that well with Ty Chandler, and they did. Early in this game, it looked like they were just going to have to run Sam Howell 45 times. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Chandler just bust out with a bunch of big runs. I do you think that they can throw the that Wake can come back and beat NC State next week and throw the ball well on them? Heck yeah, they're still undefeated in ACC play, baby. That's say, right. This is this is what happens when you schedule a tough non-conference game in November on the road. It's like, what are you thinking? That's just terrible scheduling. Uh, no, I mean, I don't know. Like Wake at some point has to realize that there's four quarters in North Carolina non-conference games too, because didn't they blow a lead in the fourth quarter last year? But it was a conference game because remember 10 game conference oh, only schedule. Right. So it's, but it is the second straight season that North Carolina's come back from a 14 point fourth quarter deficit. Yeah, it's I mean, that was I thought this game was done. Like I made the joke on something about, you know, oh wow, Wake's picking up a huge non-con win here in November. And then that like immediately after I sent that tweet, North Carolina just started like an avalanche pouring out of the fourth quarter to come back to win the game. I I mean we we knew Wake defensively has issues. Like we saw that against Army. Like Army was able to run all over it. North Carolina said, "All right, let's run all over it." We know that people can, and we kind of just saw the result today. But I still think that Wake's a good team. But as we've talked about, like I think Wake's a good team, but I also think it's a nine and three good team, and this is the first of three. I felt no different about either football team after the end of the game. Ty Chandler, as you mentioned, Bud. Ran really well against Notre Dame. So this is clearly something they worked on in the off week to try and make sure to get that going. Um, but I was, uh, you know, I've, I've obviously I went to North Carolina. I have a lot of friends that went to Wake Forest. Like the group chat, the group conversation. We knew what we were getting into going into the game. And every punt, every turnover was treated as a celebration. Like anything that was not a touchdown received commentary and celebration on one side or the other. So through the whole ups and downs of that game, 
I'll say it was a fair ball game. Either either one of those teams could have won it. I don't think any less of Wake Forest. I don't think any more of North Carolina. And to your point, bud, Wake can still beat NC State, which had a really good win uh, against a Florida State team that was down two dozen players. Are you no, in no, right now? No, they no, they, no. I, I'm in Nashville for meetings. Um, they weren't actually down two dozen guys. They just weren't really able to practice this week. But they were down their most important guy, who had the flu. Uh, pretty bad late in the week jordan travis and uh yeah like that's the reason i picked it for my lock i was like that's a totally different offense if travis ain't in there and he was not able to go uh, at all and nc state did their damnedest to try to make that a game for for about 20 minutes there in the second half and then they they finally pulled away again to win 28 14 like that's a good team. I don't know why the hell they try to run the ball so much when they're not good at it. They need to just let – like they're very like Seattle Seahawks-ish. Let Russ cook. Let let Leary cook. He hit through for like, what, 400 yards and a 4-1 to touchdown interception ratio, and the, and the pick was on a Hail Mary to end the half. Like he, When he dropped back, good things happened. And they just hey, – let's run the ball 32 times for like a 10% success rate and keep FSU in the game. It was, uh, right. it was interesting. So what about our lock infinity? Tennessee, baby. Vols are back. No, no, but listen, the most important stat in football is time of possession. Yes, of course. You can't score if you don't have the ball, but it's pretty clear that you need the ball. It's the most important stat in existence, and I will hear nothing else otherwise. We survived and cashed a lock infinity in which Will Levis actually played well played well yeah there have been several games recently where it was just better for him to take a freaking knee than it was to drop back the pass on like an average you know yards basis the broadcast was was driving me nuts a little bit i, I had it on i was, I was like I'm like man kentucky is on pace to have the ball for 52 minutes I'm like Yes, because Kentucky's defense cannot even get Tennessee to third down. They only had third downs three times, mm-hmm. not three conversions. They only faced third down like three times with about ten minutes left in the game. It was uh, it was really impressive. This Kentucky defense is not what it normally is. Tennessee deserves a lot of credit for going out there and getting it. Mark Stoops realizing this loss probably cost him a chance to win ten games, which is how he gets that huge bump and the automatic two year extension. Loses his mind, gets a 15-yard penalty, and then we have a ball-don't-lie moment because, yes, Will Levis' face mask absolutely was yes. grabbed and probably should have been <laughs> Yeah. So the Kentucky uh, got eyes upon them, and they convert a fourth and 24 after Stoops loses his ever-loving mind. Uh, and then Tennessee's like, oh, hanging back hasn't worked all day. We really don't cover anybody. What if we just blitz? And then on, on like the final three plays, they just blitz like crazy, and, uh, and it worked out. I do you want to read the box? <laughs> No, Do we get full, it. full infinity? All right. Play it. Yeah. It's about to feel something that they never felt before. To infinity and beyond. Let y'all know. But I, I just want to, I love this is a box score that I enjoy going back to that time of possession stat because Kentucky had 612 yards, Tennessee only had 461. Kentucky ran 99 plays, Tennessee ran 47. 
Kentucky had the ball for 46 minutes and eight seconds. Tennessee had the ball for 13 minutes and 52 seconds. Tennessee won 45 to 42 because during that 13 minutes and 52 seconds, they averaged 9.8 yards per play. They were picking up a first down on average every single play, and they averaged 21.1 yards per completion in the passing game. Also, Tom, uh, three kneels from the shotgun yes. are are baked into that nine point eight yards of play. So, like I was looking at this, they were at like ten point four before he went minus four, minus four, minus four. It was just, I mean, it was a fun game. It's just, it's one of those games where, like, yeah, like it breaks people's brains because it's just not the kind of box score, not the kind of thing you're used to seeing. And it's like, well, I don't understand how this is happening. As you're watching a Tennessee player run 70 yards untouched for a touchdown, how are they winning by not having the ball? You know how we get those mailbag questions that they ask us, hey, what, what do you look for when you break down a box score? Look at this one. All the stuff that makes you think Kentucky should have won, that's what I ignore. All the stuff that the reasons why Tennessee won, that's what I look at because this is what actually matters, and that stuff doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because here, let's great look. example. Big plays. Tennessee, 12 for 388 yards. <laughs> like they had nearly 400 yards just on big plays alone. <laughs> that was that was a fun game. I mean, they, they were – You, they, they you were dialed like into it. I, I will say that like that – so I had Oregon, Washington, and Alabama LSU were my two like sort of primaries – right then and i was sort of popping in because there were so many fireworks that every every time i popped in I, I could bounce back and automatically see a score so i missed all of the um all of y'all's commentary on the commentating uh, <laughs> but i also feel like i missed the ups and downs and was uh and was catching up uh, a little bit behind the pace because i was watching games elsewhere but i mean clearly spiritually i was there for lock infinity the whole way mm-hmm Tom, uh, your Tennessee also had a 0% uh, power success rate because they never actually faced, never faced a, a, a short down situation. <laughs> They're zero for zero on the night. Is it a short down situation three or less? Uh, two or less. Two or less. But yeah, here's another oh, one, too. So repeat that one more time. So Tennessee never faced a situation of uh, and two to go or less. On which they ran. I can't comment if they had if they yeah. maybe threw the ball in one of those, but they're zero for zero running the ball in those situations. Here's the, here's some more fun stats. Uh Kentucky had 45 first downs, Tennessee had 23. <laughs> third, third down attempts. Kentucky was 12 of 17 on third down. <laughs> they lost. Tennessee was three for eight. And one of those eight was a kneel down. This one was a kneel down. The average third down distance to go for the Vols was 12.6 yards. For Kentucky, it was six and a half. Like, if you just go through the box score and look at it from a traditional aspect, there is no way in hell Tennessee should have won this game. But if you go to collegefootballdata.com and you look at the postgame win expectancy, Tennessee was at 80%. So a three-point game, not as close as you think, and not because t- not the other way around. Wait, so you're out. telling me that averaging more than a first down every time you snap the ball is good. Could be more important than actually just letting the clock run when yes. you hold the ball. Yes. Now that said, okay. So Tom, my heart was used... big. Like that was that was the big hangup with the announcing commentator. I guess it was ridiculous. It, it, yeah, it was. It was that, and then uh, 
yeah, how many third down conversions te- or Kentucky had? How many first downs? Like, hey, yeah, but listen, like- you get in Kruger Field, you get enticed by the sales. All right, you walk out with things you don't expect to buy that day. I don't need more tin foil or saran wrap, but you know what? They had an extra deal on it, so I understand. Tennessee was like locked in. They did not focus on the end caps at all. They, they didn't do any dollar days. They just they just hit it. What was you guys want to guess what the longest time off the like longest time of possession on any one Tennessee drive was? One minute and forty eight seconds. No, I'll it was say that, like three or four minutes. Yeah, it was they had four, one where they held it for a little bit. It was four fifty four. It was that drive in the fourth quarter when they were actually trying to nurse the lead and nurse the clock. They went twelve plays, fifty seven yards, and then missed the field goal. Oh, when the kid pushed the field goal. Yeah. <laughs> so when they held out of the ball, they got no points. When they scored within, you know, and every other drive, honest to God, of their other ten possessions, only one broke the two minute mark. All right. So <laughs> I was very much rooting for our lock infinity. However, I was able to get a really good amount down on plus three and a half, right, on Sunday. And so I was like, please just make this field goal because there's no chance we go to overtime unless Kentucky, you know, misses the extra point or something when they go down and score. Kentucky wins by one. Okay, get a, get a hard luck push on the infinity. I win my three and a half. I did not want to see overtime after having three brutal overtime losses today. Uh, on on bad beats, including a 60-yard field goal by Oregon State to, to screw my under. Did you oh. see that? Bomb! And it was funny because, like, I don't know if you saw before, but the Oregon State receiver, he caught the ball along the sidelines. You know, they're still trying to move and get in a field goal position. It was like a third and ten. He catches the ball along the sidelines. He's completely by himself, and he steps out a yard short of the down marker. <laughs> so here this kid is thinking he just cost his team a chance to tie the game and force overtime. And then here comes the kicker and he bombs a 60 yard field goal in that thin boulder air to send the game to OT. I had like, I was on like the, I just had a bunch of bad beats and good beats today that were like, uh, like I ran hot and ran cold. And I feel like I, I was, none of them were justified. You know what I mean? Except for Tom, obviously winning the Service Academy under. I didn't win. America won. Yeah, I mean, what? <laughs> Not even overtime. Course. Not even overtime can beat a Service Time or Service Academy under. Okay, so um, I want to stay in the SEC East because uh, WTF Florida. I I I did not I think... watch. I need I need somebody to hold my hand here and lead me through the darkness that is the Florida fan experience right now. I did not think that Dan Mullen would get fired this year. I thought it was silly. I thought it was dumb, stupid, crazy talk. And then this game happened. And now I don't know. Because Mullen did say, and Bud, you talked about it during the week, that there's a flu going around this team. There's been a flu going around in Florida, and it's not COVID, just the flu. Traditional, (laughs) old-fashioned kind. Old fashioned flu, guys. It's okay. It's just every, like normal sickness. Emory Jones had it. He said Emory Jones had it. Like twenty to thirty guys on the team had the flu, and maybe that's as, maybe that's the only real. Ex- it's as simple as that. Maybe this was just a bunch of, like a team that really had to go to the bathroom a lot and was focused on other things and literally crapped its pants on the field and figuratively, and it's just a terrible night. But it was just from the parts I did see. Whew. Like that that defense certainly looked like it could use some fluids because they were just getting run right through. I mean, I, the flu thing in the state of Florida is real, 
right? FSU had to cancel its swim meet and and it's it's baseball scrimmage. I had not heard of Florida having that, but I don't like UF's practices are not as open as FSU's are. So it, it is possible. Like I'm not going to sit here and say that Dan Mullen's a liar or anything like that. Like I it it's very likely that, that his guys did have the flu. They certainly played like they had the flu, uh, but they also this was like the first Florida loss to a non elite level team where it wasn't like fluky in any way, right? It wasn't, they, of course it's Florida this year. So they had a, another you know, turnover returned for a touchdown against them, but legitimately South Carolina just whipped them physically. Florida did not look like it wanted to be there. And if they were sick and needed IVs for the game, maybe they did not uh, want to be there and we'll bounce back. But a lot of Florida fans right now are, are kind of roasting them on Twitter and saying, hey, look at Notre Dame. Like most of their season goals are dashed, but uh, they're still playing hard, right? It, it like It's not an excuse to just completely check out on the season as soon as you lose the SEC East to Georgia, which the way Georgia's recruiting could happen frequently. Uh, so, man, this was just an ass kicking. It, it really was. And Columbia, when it's rocking and their fans do a great job and they're super passionate, but Richardson was what emergency quarterback status tonight due to the uh, concussion thing. So he didn't play. And every time I looked up, South Carolina had a tight end wide open, or, or they were they were gashing on some G scheme stuff and just okay. Florida. So there, I mean, there is a speaking of that, like there is a notion that all of this is setting up to fire a bunch of assistants and use that as your you know one year pass, right? I mean, I yeah, think you usually don't get to fire guys twice. Correct. Like that is that is from my um, judgment and my analysis when we're looking at coaches that are on the hot seat, especially at these high major jobs. When you are under pressure, things are not going well, and you make a bunch of staff changes, that's your like, okay, well, hold, hold, hold on. I've got this one get out of jail free card. It's the fire assistant card. I'm going to play it. And if it works out, then I might buy myself a year or two. But if it doesn't, then it's on me next year. And I think that that might be where we're headed in Gainesville. Is that fair? Oh, I, I'll be shocked yeah. if Todd Grantham is the defensive coordinator in Gainesville next year. He may not be the defensive coordinator next tomorrow. week. Yeah. No emergency podcast for Todd Grantham. I won't I'm going to declare that with whatever limited authority I have on this situation. No, we're definitely <laughs> not. Oh, internet outages if that happens. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's go ahead and just open the board. Um, you know, I've I've got a couple of notes here, but I want to hear what stood out to y'all in terms of what you saw on Saturday. Uh, takeaways from the week, or if I mean, if you want to take this back to uh, actually, I'm I'm gonna get us started. A shout out to Utah because I have made a real campaign against the 10:30 p.m. Friday night games. I think they should not exist. And I think that especially from a, you know, wagering standpoint, there's no reason why you should be up till 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m. sweating something when we still have a full Saturday ahead. When I always endorse spray the board Saturday, you're going to have a lot of action. Like, you need your sleep. It is a, a human need. Shout out to you, Utah. Was it 38 nothing at halftime against Stanford yeah. on the that way to nice. 52 to 7? If you were holding on to a 9, you're holding on to a 10. I think it closed around 11 or 11 and a half. It did not matter because Utah was up 38 to nothing at halftime. You got to bed 
Utah got the cover. So if we're going to open up the board, shout out to you, Kyle Whittingham and the Utes, because that was just conscientious and considerate behavior by a team <laughs> that wanted its betters to go to bed early. A team that cares about the people. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that was when I realized Tanner McKee was out, out. I already had Utah six. I took some Utah nine and a half, Utah 13 and a half on the alts. I took uh, Stanford under 23 and a half team total for the game. And then I also I hit a live uh, 59 and a half, like minus 118 uh, for, for the live total there. And that hit. So that was like a 4 0 or 5 0 sweep uh, on that. That was like Jack West Camp. 30 Friday game. Let's remember the rules. When you leave, when you leave Vegas and you go to white, white, white the bag, they do not say, "Did you make, did you make this money betting on Georgia?" Which, if I go back to Vegas to cash that ten to one ticket, I'm gonna say, "Yes, I did." But they don't care; they just want to see the cash. And I was like, "Man, Jack West can't play." Like all due respect to Jack West, but Tanner McKee is good. When Jack West is in there, Stanford doesn't do a damn thing. And Cam Rising makes a difference for Utah. Sure, I think Utah is gonna beat Oregon. I think it very well. They, they're going to yeah. play them twice. We think. I think they're going to beat them twice. Yeah, Whoa. they're a better team than Oregon. I think honestly, I think if, if they have to win at least one of them, I, they're going to win definitely at least one of those two games, and they could win both of them. It's just I think that they've their offense, while it's better now with Rising, can also just disappear at times too. So that would worry me. But regular season game is in Salt Lake City. I almost feel like it's going to be Utah regular season Oregon title game. I'll, be. Be, I'll, I'll say that for whatever it's worth at 1230 a.m. and East Coast. Yeah, I'll say that's my prediction. I do feel like with the way Oregon is kind of, I mean, Ohio State game aside, they've been kind of eh on the road for portions of games. And I think if you go to Salt Lake City and you just kind of sleepwalk through a quarter, you're not going to be able to recover from it. So, yeah, I would be with you on that. Uh, shout out to Scott Frost because I'm pretty sure you're going to get fired. Scott, shout out to Eric Chenander, their defensive coordinator, who has done a really good job with, unless I'm just misevaluating Nebraska, I don't think that they no. have a whole lot of like future NFL guys. That's a well-coordinated defense. They keep people confused. They, they they move around just enough, but not like in a goofy, you know, somebody's going to expose you type way. When, when he, when that staff gets canned, he better be in high demand like that. He's yeah. done a really good job this year. If it was up to Nebraska's defense, they would have beaten Ohio State today. But it wasn't. Scott Frost, and, terrible just, field goal decisions all day. Just, what the hell are you doing? You're a three-score dog. It's not even that. Forget that. Put Let's Go put for WPA it. and EPA and all that kind of crap aside. All season long, your special teams have been dog crap. Your kicker, your field goal game, you came into the season 7 of 13 on field goals. Why the hell are you trusting your kicker at this point? He's shown he can't. He he makes half of them. What are you doing? You're playing and now. Okay, you're playing Ohio State. You're an underdog. You're at home. You get them. They they drive down the field on their first possession of the game. Your defense comes through, forces a turnover on downs. Your offense immediately begins marching right down the field, gets you into field goal range, and you come up short on third down. So now it's fourth and four. You're just outside the red zone, and you send out your kicker who's seven to thirteen. And guess what he does? He misses. Oh, okay. And then later in the game, forcing another fourth down when you're down against Ohio State and your team's playing pretty well. You've got a chance to get in the game. What do you do? 
you send out your kicker and he misses. So he went one for three on the day. He's now eight for 16 on the season. And I'm not trying to jump on the kicker. I'm not, I'm just it's He shouldn't have been put in the situation where it's like now he's going to feel like he lost the game for his team because his coach made stupid decisions to put him in the, that in that spot. And then there's other times where it's like they punt and Joel Klatt even just came out. Like I felt like Joel Klatt just wanted to curse because <laughs> there was one point Nebraska punts when it probably shouldn't have punted. It's a 13 yard punt. And then there's a kick catch interference. Now granted the kick catch interference was kind of, you know, it was, it was a 50, 50 call. Like I understand he was with, he was crowding. He was crowding Jackson Smith and Jigba as he tried to catch it, but he was off to the side. And I think by the rule book, you're allowed to be off to the side, but still it's just like the same stupid, dumbass mistakes that Nebraska has made on the field and on the sideline for the last four years. And I've gotten, I just, I just don't see what there is right now to justify bringing Scott Frost back for a fifth year. There's been well, no growth. Yeah, like they're not recruiting all that well either. Um, I just they should have beaten Ohio State today. Yeah, the way Scott Frost coaches this year, at least, is really good. If you want to set yourself up for an excruciatingly painful close loss, like he's going to keep the game close. But every time he makes that decision, he's actually decreasing the chance that they win. If you want to pull an upset over a three-score as a three-score underdog, you need to go for it and also make it. Okay. If you go for it and you don't make it, you make it blown out. Who cares? You're Scott Frost. Is playing Nebraska close really going to help you keep your job? Maybe it is. Maybe they don't want to pay the buyout. Or or I that's bad coaching, man. I mean, is it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen tomorrow? Gotta hope not. No, again, I'm not home tomorrow. Uh, I will say it wasn't the worst coaching decision I saw. Jimmy Lake. <laughs> Jimmy, what the hell were you doing? Like, they were – Chip, did you see it? Why should Jimmy Lake get your three? <sighs> Do you want to just go like, hey, I get the fire coordinator route before before I lose my job route? I think it's possible. Uh, it's possible. It's just – but, Chip, they're down eight points, right? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. It was it's, fourth and four, right? But for the listeners who don't know – I didn't see this live. I heard about it. I think it was fourth and 10. But it's fourth and 10. You're buried at your own 10-yard line. It's a minute 57 left. You got two timeouts. You're down eight. You punt. Or you try to punt. The problem is it's pouring. It's been raining all damn night. Which, by the way, I loved. Like on my my notepad, I said, uh, Oregon, Washington, rain game was perfect. I wish I could have been there for it. But, like... (laughs) Your punter snap or your long snapper snaps the ball about eight feet too high, mm-hmm. seven feet too wide, and it goes out the back of the end zone for a safety, and you lose the game. You literally lost the game on the punt. I, I want to plug this into the calculator live on air. Uh, all right, you guys talk. I'll, I'll, I'll find the exact specs on this just to see how, how bad a decision is supposed to be. Let me come on the other side. I did think that while Oregon should not have allowed Washington to be in the position to win that game, I did think that Oregon came up with enough play. Like Anthony Brown will do yeah. just enough. And that is like perfect for what Oregon needs in most of the games that it plays. It was perfect uh, for Anthony Brown to be able to make sure you didn't lose against Fresno state. Anthony Brown came up with key plays against Ohio state when they needed them. 
Like he has been there. He's not going to overwhelm you. He's not going to get you out to a 24 to nothing lead. But this was another example, much like those other games I mentioned, where I felt like Anthony Brown came up with some good plays. So I I can't question the decision this deep in the season. That's your guy. That's who the Ducks have hitched their wagon to. And he didn't have to do anything because Washington's offense only had 166 yards. Jeez. Total? Yeah. Travis Dye rushed for 211 by himself. Washington had 166, which, again, why are you punting? So they had 64 yards in the second half. I know they had 100 at the half. That's uh, that's not great. <laughs> you know, um, there's, there's been better performances, yeah. <laughs> Um, hey, how about uh, since we're just sort of throwing some shout outs while Bud puts in the punt calculator? Uh, Boise State, that's one of the best games you played all season on the road at Fresno, 40 to 14 winner. And I think it was wire to wire. Yeah, it was a wire to wire win. Um, Boise State's offense has not been great for most of the season, but they uh, they cruised against a Mountain West opponent that they have had some success against. Uh, never a doubt. You want to take this thing to overtime? I'm not sweating. I told you anything 35 or under was going to be gravy, and it was in Army Air Force. So we go to what, 49 and 1? 40, 49 and 1. 49 and 1 since 2005 for those service academy unders. Iowa Northwestern, the hair on your chest classic, only checked in at 29 points. So, I mean, I was cruising the entire way. Uh, I mean, this there, there, there's a lot of shout outs for me. I don't want to hog this. So uh, shout out to Wisconsin for getting back to its bum slaying roots, beating Rutgers 52 to three. To three. Uh, Miami won again today, beating Georgia Tech a little hairier than they probably would have liked, but it still counts. Miami's playing well. Uh, did you guys watch any of UCF Tulane? Not a second. Consider no. yourselves lucky because that was a horrible game. 14 to 10 UCF. Shout out to ECU for putting the hurting on temple on the same day oh yeah so temple's a quit team yeah i i have certain things that like like just i i thought i adjusted enough for potential quit factor and they've quit that i think they're gonna fire their coach yeah which is like rod carey was so remember rod carey was the hire after manny diaz got hired away from being the temple coach for a hot minute and that rod carey left northern illinois mm -hmm. surging Thomas Hammock took over because Rod Carey had left. Everybody was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. Now look at Northern Illinois, one of our big winners of the season, and Rod Carey's about to get fired. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Crazy how it gets out here. Also, a uh, shout-out to the second-best team in the SEC West, Arkansas, for beating Mississippi State 31-28. to uh, Arizona and UNLV, shout-out. No more winless teams. That's one. I predicted UNLV. I did not realize that the Cal Bears were going to get protocoled to death and that Arizona would be able to kind of take advantage of it, which, hey, I don't care about the circumstances. Arizona deserves a win. They got one. They should be happy with it. Tom, uh, I actually have some fun stats for you here. Let's hear them. All right. Uh, so the model says that Jimmy Lake's decision there was a toss-up. Literally between three outcomes. Uh, so going for it would give you a 2% chance to win. And punting actually gives you the same percentage chance to win as kicking a field goal, which is 1%. <laughs> so if Washington wanted to try a 
they're at their own 10, so it'd be, what, 107-yard field goal? That would be roughly as effective as the punt there. Oregon uh, State's and- kicker could make it. <laughs> I can't believe – I mean, I'm not shocked that it's a toss-up simply because it's fourth and 10, but – the main reason it's a toss-up is because, like, you're just so unlikely to actually drive 90 yards mm-hmm. and then also, you know. You're just as unlikely to punt it and get the ball back with the amount of time that you would need to once again drive down the field. Because even if Oregon just goes three and out and you use both your timeouts, you're probably getting the ball inside your 20 with, what, 45 seconds left at best? Yeah, it, it it really is not a, not a good decision. And then of course they they snap it over the punter's head, right, for his safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes it a ten point game. <sighs> Academic prowess sometimes doesn't come through. I guess I don't know. Mm. Man, so I've got a. Uh, do you think the sixth win for some teams is the hardest? You know, Bud, you introduced a a topic going into the season where you said like five and a half win teams, you know, like bet the over. Right, yeah. Except in the SEC, but yeah, Oregon State has been knocking on the door of going bowling for the first time under Jonathan Smith for two weeks in a row. Six point loss to Cal, three point loss to Colorado. I'm I'm working on a new theory here. Is the sixth win for programs like that or teams like that that haven't been bowling? Can that sometimes be the toughest? I know where you're going with this, specifically with Oregon State. I think they had two wins that they normally would probably not have gotten. Right, Washington was really a mess when when, when they lost to Oregon State, and they they were the team that played played USC right after USC fired his coach. Right, and they ran for like 300 yards on those guys. I don't know that Oregon State is that good, so some of this might just be regressing to the mean. But you know, they they beat did beat Utah. Utah. They yeah. beat Utah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? I think that my official prediction for stuff in teams like this is that Illinois is going to beat Iowa to get to five and six and then lose to Northwestern because of a psychological barrier. We should probably talk about uh, Texas A&M and Auburn, though. That's a good idea. What the one touchdown was a defensive touchdown. The defense is dominated. Wasn't there a second touchdown? No, it was uh, four field goals and a two point. Oh, yeah, you're right. There was, yeah, it was a great game. It was a fantastic game. And if it was under the lights, we would have called it the game of the year. I mean, it was, it went like I I want to talk about it simply because I was so right. Because I spent the week talking about it. It's like, well, yeah, Zach Calzada and Bo Nix both played great against terrible defenses, and then they both played good defenses today, and it turned out they're still Zach Calzada and Bo Nix. Like the last time Auburn – I said this on the show too. Tom said it. Chip said it. The last time Auburn played a good D-line was Georgia, and it did do a damn thing on offense. And m is a really good D-line, unlike LSU, unlike uh, whoever the heck Auburn's recently played, Arkansas – you know, et cetera, et cetera. Old Miss. Miss certainly does not have a good defensive line. So they just they got totally shut down. They they couldn't do very much. Uh yeah. That was all right. So uh one last one before we get out of here. Quick shot. Does Oklahoma State's win against West Virginia say more about us buying into West Virginia like in a way that made the Mountaineers a little bit fraudulent, or is that a great response and great win from an Oklahoma State team that 
has always led with the defense. I think it's both. Like, West Virginia's offense really couldn't do anything today against Oklahoma State's defense. But on the flip side, Oklahoma State's offense, it's not like they were out there dominating. They weren't playing particularly well. Like, yeah, here, look. All right. Oh, Jesus, here's a box score. Here's the box score. How many yards do you think yeah. Oklahoma State had? In the game? Well, mm-hmm. Chip already said it. Or, no, sorry, uh, Coca said it in, in the, the comment. Oh, did he? Damn it, Coca. But, I, but it, yeah. Oklahoma State had 285 yards of offense, which was more than twice of what West Virginia had at 133. That I mean, this was just Auburn, Texas A&M played in a different location with different uniforms and different players. But it's a good win for Oklahoma State because, like, all we all expected them to go on the road and lose this game, and they got the win. So they've still only got one loss. They're still very much alive in the Big 12. They're still very much alive for a playoff berth because of it. So don't feel bad about it. You got the win. doesn't really matter. And again, everybody struggled this week. So a 21-point win looks good as long as nobody looks at the box score. Well, I mean, with what we saw from Baylor against TCU, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, Tom. Cannot count out uh, the Cowboys at this West, point. West Virginia averaged 2.3 yards per play and was 2 of 14 on third down. Yeah, but their time of possession, 31 they minutes. Did. They did win the time of possession battle. battle. Yeah. So Did Texas win the time of possession battle with its uh, <laughs> no gas and no breaks? Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, this was no gas, no breaks. Just cruising down the road and you're just going to go wherever the hills go. Right? I didn't see any of the game. I once I, I saw a lot of the first half when it was 7-3 to three Texas at halftime. And then, like, halfway through the third quarter, I just I, I was like, okay, I know exactly where this is going. I don't need to watch any more of this. So I didn't see the last quarter and a half of that game. But, yeah, just – I like, Casey Thompson got taken out for Hudson Card. That really didn't fix anything. Bijan Robinson got banged up. There's really nothing in the passing game outside of occasional deep shots that somebody comes down with. There's just I, I don't know what it is specifically, but this is a team that all year long has gotten completely dominated in the second half. So opponents are adjusting, figuring things out. And this Texas coaching staff to this point has not shown an ability to do anything to, to adjust itself. Yeah, I, I like their over seven and a half wins for the year. I I, I thought that was a, a more reasonable number, and uh, they're not going to hit that now. It, it, there's going to be some time. I'm sure he'll look at his staff. Maybe maybe likes the competition of it. Maybe he doesn't. But they're just – there's some teams in the Big 12 I feel like are fairly well-coached teams. Obviously, Iowa State is one of those. Oklahoma State is one of those. I don't know if you could say it about West Virginia right now, but I know they have some some other issues there. It's just going to take a little bit of time. I, I don't think Texas was necessarily like flip the switch. I, I think we did a good job of that over the summer, by the way, for the most part. like We were excited about Texas, but not like Texas going to win the Big 12 excited. You know what I mean? I got pumped early in the year, though. I just yeah. thought they were looking good, and I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, we might have something in now. My uh, ceiling on Texas had nothing to do with Texas and more to do with the distance I thought it had with Oklahoma. And the funny thing is that I've lowered where I projected Oklahoma to be, and yet 
Texas still has the same gap. You know, like I am less bullish on Oklahoma as a national championship contender, and I am less bullish as Texas as a team to challenge them. Yeah. Oklahoma State is meeting slash exceeding expectations as a team with a great defense that can lose in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah. Which, right. you know, we'll see. Hey, if Mike Gundy wins at Bedlam, then he will no longer – wait. No, then I – is this Lincoln Riley's fourth or fifth year? Because Mike Gundy only has two wins against Oklahoma. Fifth. As Oklahoma State's – got to be his fifth because 2016 fifth. was the year that it was Oklahoma-Georgia Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. 2017. Well, the 2016 season, but the game was in 2017. Anyway, we'll we'll fight over this later. Someone's going to be mad about it. Somebody like in the sixty fifth minute of your instant reaction podcast, you, you didn't talk about my favorite team. Who said we don't talk, we didn't talk Georgia? We just mentioned Georgia. Yeah, we talked to. I mean, okay, Georgia killed a guy again. There we go. We talked Georgia. It's the same. It's it's what Clemson has been the last few years in this podcast when it came to the reaction. Show. It's like, what is there to say? It's the same oh, thing every week. They destroyed guys, their team. Look at the private chat. There is a team that we have not talked about today that other fans are mad. Oh, yeah. Well, screw them. Let's keep it. <laughs> and to find out which team we're talking about, you should listen to Monday's upon further review when we will reveal the mystery team. Monday, three p.m. Eastern time. Do you have a hot? Do you? I do you have extensive takes on that game? Uh, uh, I have. It was where I was watching games. It was actually one of the TVs there, and uh, I saw a little bit of it, but not a whole lot. I, I'll, I'll have more things. Okay. Yeah, I'll just say they, they dominated the game, and it was still kind of Find out who the mystery team is going to be Monday, 3 p.m. for on further review. Follow him on Twitter at Buddy3. Follow him at Top Rebellion. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.